Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. All right. Uh, hello, everybody. Welcome to uh, episode 17 of the Samurai Brothers podcast. And uh, so the major things that we were wanting to address today was, uh, first off, the Japan had their equivalent of the World Team Trials, uh, and the tournament is called the Meiji Cup. Uh, so... And uh, so they decided who was going to represent at the world at their world team for the uh, world championships that are coming up in the fall. And then uh, you mentioned about some uh, things related to MMA that are coming up, so we're hoping to get into some discussion about that. And then uh, the one to really close out uh, the episode for today is going to be One Piece chapter 1053 which is, has been revealed to be the last chapter before Oda is taking his one-month break, and then one week will be going into the final uh, climactic events of the series. So we got some really good stuff that are coming up today, Matthew, so thanks for being here as always, and uh, let's, let's jump right into it then, shall we? Yep. All right, so uh, going into the... Um, Japan's World Team Trials, a.k.a. the Meiji Cup, uh, you know, they had a lot of stuff going on there. And uh, one thing I've noticed, Matthew, is that um, once they get some dominant people in there, they tend to stick around for quite a few years. So it's interesting to see what they have going on. So I'll just kind of go through. And uh, so one of the things about the Meiji Cup, uh, how they determine who's going to be uh, representing on the world team is that uh, there's two ways to, to get into the, the tournament. Uh, they have the Emperor's Cup, which is held at the at the end of the year, uh, mainly, and that is, uh, I believe it is an invite based on uh, everyone's uh, records throughout the year over there. Uh, but the winner of the Emperor's Cup basically has a seed into the playoff that happens at, at the conclusion of the uh, Meiji Cup. Now, a way that the winner of the Emperor's Cup can avoid a playoff is that they enter into the Meiji Cup, and then they win the Meiji Cup tournament outright. If they do that, then they avoid a playoff. Uh, but if they somehow lose, then the winner of the Meiji Cup gets to challenge the winner Emperor's Cup for the World Team Trial spot. Um, in the case, though, that there was not a winner of, of the Emperor's Cup competing in the tournament, that whoever wins the finals of the Meiji Cup tournament will go to the World Championships from Japan. So let's get right into it. Um, so it looks like what happened, women's 59 kilos uh, was the first, uh, so this, this went over a four day period, so that's how they ran, that's how they were running uh, in front of there, and, uh, it looks like they're, we're seeing a couple of people that are representing for the first time, um, it looks like we had a, uh, at 59 women's, there was a wrestler named Sata, I believe, and, uh, she ended up defeating the Emperor's Cup winner, uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce this name, but she ended up beating her 10-3 in the Meiji Cup. Uh, 
Cup Finals and then beat her 2-1 in the playoff. So, looks like she uh, really leveled up there. Um, but it, I'm, I'm also seeing that they did have a third place match, um, and that whoever lost the Constellation Semis ended up being considered fifth place. Now, I think the big event here, now there was another one, Chiami uh, from Ikue University, she ended up uh, beating Matsuyuki Daruha, I believe. Um, <laughs> and uh, she, uh, this Masuki was also the winner of the Emperor's Cup, but she ended up losing two matches in a row, um, not able to go there. And then the last one, 76 kilos, they did not have a playoff, and it was uh, a woman named Sakai, I think is how this is pronounced. She won 4 0 the final. And she has her first. Uh, World Championships ticket. Now, uh, some of the some of the more interesting ones uh, that we had. Um, I'll actually kind of get into this. I mean, if people are interested, if they want to find out more, um, I will get into that. But uh, let me see here. At 63, Greco, um, Takeda, who was the winner of the major tournament, uh, he will be represented for the first time, and there was no Emperor's Cup winner. So there was no playoff there. 97 kilo Greco, uh, Suruta from the GA type. Ah. Uh, now here's here's uh here's where it got interesting. Suruta won the Emperor's Cup, but then he lost in the finals to uh, Nakazato, three uh, three. Uh, but then Suruta came back and beat Nakazato in the playoff, three to one. So this is it. This is uh, an instance where the Emperor's Cup winner did lose, but he did not lose the playoff this time. So that's an interesting one. But I think the highlight of the first day for uh, for the Meiji Cup was Sonoda uh, at 130 kilograms. Um, and I'm kind of on and off to seeing this guy here, but uh, this Sonoda... Um, and he tech called his opponent in the Major Cup Finals. So he was the winner of the, of the Emperor's Cup, and then he won the Major Cup as well. So he avoided the playoff by winning the Major Cup. But uh, in his case, this is going to be his eighth consecutive year representing Japan at the World Championships. And uh, seeing as how competitive it is over here, Matthew, you know, I mean, you have to, you have to be someone like a Jordan Burroughs or a Kyle they really came to represent, don't you think? Yeah, it, that's that's highly unusual to to you have to be a really dominant guy in order to represent that many times in a row. It's like in most weight classes, the representative changes from year to year, so that is extremely unusual in any nation, let alone a competitive nation like Japan. Now, granted, as we've said competitively they're not where they used to be but they're still competitive to a degree so for it to be like that is not normal so uh, in fact I, i'm kind of wondering and uh, i'll try to i'll try to look back on this because uh, one of the things you know as i've been mentioning before how i want to 
build up that uh, the wrestling records website because I want I want to want people to be able to see you know hey here's all that you know people have done at certain tournaments or they've represented at the world teams or something like that so I'm kind of curious to see who who has been able to represent in a certain weight class for you know the most consecutive years is this guy a, a, a world medalist uh, you know what? I don't think he's ever gotten a medal. You well, see, that's un- that's unusual. If you look at dominant guys from any country, they've won at least one world medal. Doesn't have to be gold, but typically it's a world medal. You look at Karelin. You look at the you know the the Japanese women. You look at Burroughs, Dake. It's typically a world me- – someone who's that dominant is typically a world medalist. So this is not normal for someone to be that dominant in their home country and yet not win a medal. Yeah, I'm trying to see if he's actually – I'll have to go back and look at, at what his um... – his accomplishments on the world stage, but I I do believe that he is a he is a uh, a qualifier. Oh, 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 oh. Romulan ale. <laughs> it's just Gatorade. <laughs> okay, they actually do have a. Um... <laughs> okay, so his accomplishments on the world stage is he. Had a bronze medal at the Asian Games. So that, that would be the equivalent the, of like of some of like Burroughs wrestling as many times as he had at the world stage, and then only getting a bronze at the Pan Ams. So that in turn means that you know the the Greco heavyweight um, level, you know. In Japan is not really great. Oh, this guy's this guy's a Greco heavyweight. Okay. Greco heavyweight, yeah. The how? Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! How heavy does this guy walk around at? Uh, it doesn't really say, but I mean, he's competing at one thirty. Yeah, but let's be honest. Unless you're like a retired Sumori Kishi, you're not going to be that heavy of a Japanese. I mean, he, he looks big. He looks big. Does he look chonchi big, or does he look Corel? Not not. Does he look more like? Does he look like more like a chonchi, or does he look more like a Corellin? Corellin. Okay, so he's he's he's, he's muscular. Really tall guy. He's a tall guy and he's muscular. Yeah, he's six foot one. Which is tall for a Japanese person. For, for a normal Japanese person. Yes, for a normal Japanese person. Um. Uh. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, just that. Just that he can't. He can't translate that dominance in his home country to the world stage. I mean, because uh, he didn't even qualify for the Olympics last year. 
Wait, didn't qualify as in um, couldn't qualify with the criteria in international? Yeah, they they did not. He was the he was the representative, but he could not qualify the weight. How old is this guy? This guy is twenty seven. So. He's dom- so basically, he's dominated the Japanese Greco heavyweight since he was 19. So, yeah. I'm just I'm 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 it's like I'm it's like I'm I'm re-listening to this, and it's just like it's not making sense to me. It's just, it's, it's just that, that, that he, he can't score on the world stage. Yeah, he, he's dumb. He's dominant in Japan, but he's, I mean, I, I know Japan is not known for their big guys, but I yeah, mean, this, it just sounds like this is one of those cases of big fish in a small pond, essentially. Yeah, when was the last time a Japanese heavyweight, either style, medals in either the World Championships or the Olympics? That would be an interesting trip. Uh, yeah, I'm sure it's happened, but it's probably been a long time. <laughs> I'm sure of that. Well, well, we'll we'll see what happens. We'll see. Hey, maybe he might have a break, but I don't know. Uh, uh, moving on to the uh, remainder of, of uh, the freestyle for the first day, uh, we've got Yamaguchi from Nip, uh, Nippon Sports University winning the the tournament outright, and uh, so this will be his second consecutive year representing Japan in men's freestyle sixty-five. Uh, you've got 79 kilos, uh, a person by the name of Takahashi, and uh, he will be representing uh, Japan for the third consecutive year. That's 79 kilos. And, uh, you know, seeing if there's any familiar names that might be coming up. So that concluded the first day uh, of the Meiji Cup. So going into the second day, so, what did we have? Um, in the second day, uh, with the women's 57 kilos, you had Sakurai Tsugumi from Ikue University. Uh, she won the finals match 5-3, and because she was the Emperor's Cup winner, uh, there was no playoff. And uh, so this is her first time representing Japan at 57 women's. Um, but she did represent before at 55, so this is technically her second time on the world team. Now, I feel, now, tell me if this is correct. This feels like the national championship versus the, um, like, actual world team trial, which sounds like in Japan they're separate events. They are separate events. You've got the Emperor's Cup, which is considered to be, the Emperor's Cup is technically the U.S. Open. Okay. And, but it's not a it's not an open tournament. 
you're you're invited to the tournament based on on um, accomplishments you had over the previous you know over the previous year. Which, as we know in Japan, is not is kind of sparse to accomplish. Well, they've got tournaments here and there. I mean, I can probably name because, like, for example, you know, they'll have the they'll have the all collegiate um, they'll have the all collegiate tournament. Um, they'll have the Kokutai, which is the you know, that's one of the national tournaments. They'll have the all businessman national tournament. Um, obviously, if you're good at the major cup, then you're invited to that. Um, I think if you were a placer at the previous Emperor's Cup, you're also invited. I think there's a couple of other. Um, oh, and then they will if 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 the uh, <laughs> if a third grader, a Japanese high school third grader. You know, can be invited also to the Emperor's Cup if they won like Inter High or if they won the All Japan High School Greco Tournament. So, so what was was that criteria in play back when like Yoichi was wrestling? Yeah, actually, Yoichi did did compete at the at the Emperor's Cup. Although I don't know if he competed as a high school. Okay, but but I've seen I've seen um, I've seen previous brackets that have Yoichi. Okay, that's that's good. Have we talked about Yoichi on the show before? No, uh, no, we haven't. Yoichi Yamagata was I forgot what was was he uh, Nichidai Fujisawa's first national champion? Second. Second inner high national champion, but he's the only wrestler to score a. Um, he's the only wrestler in Ichiji history to get a um, not a triple crown, but um, a grand slam, I guess you could say, where he won the March national tournament, he won the inter high, he won the all Greco, and then he won the Kokutai. And uh, there's there's actually not many wrestlers that have done that. You know, they'll be dominant in like let's say the freestyle and stuff. So they might win, you know, the March National, the Inner High, and the Kokutai if they're wrestling freestyle. But they might not go out and compete in the Greco. Wait, he's one of the few wrestlers across the nation to accomplish that feat. As far as I know, yes. I can go back and, and look at the history. And the, all else has done that, but I, it's very. Uh, I don't think you're going to see a lot of people that have, have done that all at once. It's an executive. It's a pretty executive. Uh, executive. Uh, uh, um. And uh, not executive. Um. Exclusive. Exclusive list. Is, is is that correct? Yeah, you could say that. You could definitely say that. Okay, so he... He was... Wait. Did we meet the first national champion, or was that even before, like, Hadashou's time? I think it happened during Hadashou's time, but it happened, like, in the 70s or 80s. Okay. 
He was around that long? Yeah. He was at Nishidai for that long. Yeah, I think so. Harusho was, uh... Yeah, I think he was coaching since the 80s. Yeah. Wow. Well, and then another thing to remember is that he was a coach for a sport that he never competed in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He like, he, like, he became the sponsor just because they needed a sponsor, right? That's that that's amazing. He coached two national champions, never wrestled. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. and he had his golden golden goose in Yoichi. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't there one time that Yoichi at the nationals won the tournament and then he goes <laughs> and <laughs> someone chewed him out? When he won the JLC. Because that's that's not something you typically do in Japan on any level. So here he's doing that. They're like, what are you doing? Wait, he won the JLC? Yeah, he won the JLC. So he went, uh, was it at, at, uh, representing the, it was called juniors at the time or university? He, he, he won the he won the JLC in his second year, so he represented, um, I think, the cadet uh, at the, the cadet Asian Championships. When it was called cadet. Yes. Yeah, he he was he was he was well. I think he at, that event too. Well, at the high school level, he was a special wrestler. What did he accomplish anything in college? Um, I think he. Gosh, I think once he got to college, though, there were a lot of other people that really, they they were the ones who, um, The playing field got leveled. Yeah, the playing field got leveled. You always kind of peaked um, and stuff, so he wasn't as great in uh, college. So, you know, it is what it is. So he coaches now at, at, you know, at a high school. Is it a high school that we know? Um, it was that the high school is kind of like the replacement for Wisconsin because Wisconsin doesn't have their wrestling club. Right, you mentioned that. Wait, what's the school called? It's called Camaria. So they didn't exist before, uh, the or at least the wrestling club. Yeah, the wrestling club did not exist before. Uh, once Wisconsin went out, then Camaria kind of took its place because they host the. All the tournaments. Wasn't there one like the Greco tournament that was typically not at Mutsukawa? Um, I think it was held at like some arena or something. But I think after after that one year, I think they held it at Mutsukawa. Now refresh now, refresh my memory. Did Yoichi all three years go to Inter High, or did he not yes. go all three? Represented all three years. Oh wow! Yep. You know, I was gonna say, you know, uh, something I remember the um, the Yokosuka um, Wrestling Association tournament, which was uh, one of the few Japanese tournaments that I, I think I won. I might have did I win that tournament twice? 
That was one of the few. It's like it. It was really weird because I was able to get wins regularly in the American wrestling, but then when I went and I wrestled in club in Japan, I for some reason was, had a hard time getting a win in Japanese wrestling for some odd yeah. reason. And and but one of the areas where I was able to win regularly was the um the. Um, the, what's it called? The, the rest, the, the Yokosuka Wrestling Association Tournament. Or was it the Kanagawa Wrestling Association Tournament? I think it was the Kanagawa. Maybe it was the Kanagawa. I don't know. Or maybe it was the Yokosuka Wrestling. Because there was only, um, Zushi, Yokosuka, and... Oh, yeah, yeah. Zushi, Yokosuka, and I think there was one more club. I'm drawing a blank too. I remember um, Junpei was the the last representative of that club because it just it just Augusto. Oh, uh, yeah, they just it just yeah. went downhill. I was able to get a win at that one time tournament that was held on base, and it had both. It it um. I remember, yeah, I remember that year. The I I don't know why um uh, why coach um uh, what's his name I don't know why McGuire uh, promoted it, but it was the it's all the Kinnick uh, the Kinnick team wrestled in it. It was like before the season, but you had Shonan. It had middle school and high school divisions. Uh, Shonan was wrestling in. Uh, wrestling against the Kinnick guys, and then I think what was the middle school? Like the oh, only yeah. middle, the only middle school that had wrestling in I think Kanagawa. Oh gosh, um, the one that Ultimo went to. Oh gosh, I forgot the name. I'll have to look it up. Yeah, but it, it's it's I a bunch of guys. From there, um, uh, wrestled in that tournament too, and I got a win on one of them. But then I lost in the the it was it was a three man bracket, so I won my first match and then I lost my second match. Yeah, yeah. I, it's like I just don't know why when it came to me being the only um, foreigner in the bigger brackets, I was never able to pull off a win. Except for that, except for that one uh, um, freshman tournament that I competed in, I just, yeah, it's just, it's just it was just well. Obviously, earlier I had trouble winning, but then it's like even though I started winning in the Kanto exclusive, the the on base international exclusive Kanto league. I was still having trouble winning off base, except for, like I said, that one tournament, and then the, um, the, the, the Yokosuka Wrestling Association tournament. Like, I don't, I don't know if that was like a championship or what it was, but, uh, what, I I was going off on tangent, the point I was going to bring up is I remember there actually being a senior division. Oh, yes, yes, there was. I don't, I think maybe towards the latter years of Noda-san's coaching, the Seahawks started attending that tournament. But I, right. 
There, wasn't there like one or two senior clubs in the Yokosuka Wrestling Association? I don't know if they were like the senior clubs and stuff, no. Um, I think they just practiced with the, with the other clubs. Okay. This, I, yeah, he, it's like he was, he was the, he was the middle school. I was in eighth grade. He was a middle school ninth grader. So, um, yeah, yeah. We, we wrestled that one time and he, he like, as it's just my luck. He goes in there and he destroys me. Well, I, I, one of the things about him was that if you took him down, he, if you took him down, he'd come back for that. You know how there's those people out there where, you know, they're good and they don't get taken down often, but if you do take them down, they're going to come after you. They're going to, they want that takedown back. So, e- so even in practice, he would, he would uh, come back for that. Oh, yeah. Well, it also didn't help that, you know, he was so much bigger than us. Oh, yeah, he was pretty big. Yeah. Um, anyway, let's get back to this. Uh, yeah, we, we got really stuff. far off track. Sorry about that. Um, so, women's 65, you got Morikawa, uh, Iwa, I think. And uh, she's going to represent uh, for the second year in a row at 65 kilo women's. If you go on to Greco, uh, 67 men, um, you have a guy named Endo, and he he wins uh, the Greco 67 for the first time, but he did win previously at 63. So this will be a second time representing the, uh, Japan at the World Championships. Now, again, Matthew, this is really interesting because, you know, it looks like Japan is sending all their people to the World Championships. What have you found out so far about the criteria? Uh, nothing. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how this goes. I, I so. need you, I need, you know, I've been doing a bunch of stuff this week. So, uh, but that just wasn't in there. But I can tell right now I have enough time to where I'll be able to look that up. But the, yeah, it, it, it's, well, really it's yeah. Well, the the only thing I'm, I'll be able to look for is the births, the the spots that the the yeah the spots. So maybe you could tell by the total spots, but maybe not. I mean, there's got to be some reason why you can take a whole team and plug in all your guys or all your men and women into the spots. There's got there's there's got to be some kind of reasoning behind that because. Well, it's especially weird because, again, Greco had the second smallest bracket and the largest bracket. So there's, there's got to be some kind of reasoning to it. Again, you know, I looked in the, the, the qualification manual, and it just says that you, that you have to compete in the, um, your regional uh, match. Your regional tournament. Yeah, your regional tournament. I'm just like, there's got to be some other criteria for that. I really do think I re- what I really do think is is probably that each oh that doesn't make sense though when it comes to the Greco because the Greco had more than the number of births because what what was it we said there's six regions or is it there's supposed to be six 
six regions. You've got you got the Americas, which is technically the Pan Am. <laughs> you got Pan Ams. You got the Europeans. You got the Asian tournament. Um, you've got Oceania. Oceania. I think you've got Africa. That's five. Five times six, that equals 30. A 30-man bracket, but we had that one bracket that was 31 people. Um, but one of the things might be is that, hey, maybe there's some reasons that they just don't send a lot. They don't send it. Well, if you look at a lot of those teams, a lot of them, it's just, it might just be budget. Because one thing to remember is that we're very unusual in that we don't have like a ministry of sport. We have all the if, if different non-governing bodies that are run independent of the government, whereas in... Um, almost every other nation, the IOC is directly connected. It's directly run by the government, the Ministry of Sport. So it's very unusual. We're very unusual in that regard, in that we don't we um our our athletes aren't selected by the government. We're, our athletes are selected by the governing associations, which are no. technically nonprofits. So and. Um which kind of got me to look at that. Um, so Japan does have the Ministry of Education, Culture, Sports, Science, and Technology. That's a very all-encompassing... Uh... Well, the, the Japanese... The Japanese name for it is Monbu Kagakusho. So... That's the... Yeah, the, the English translation. And I think... Yeah, so they oversee they oversee you know development of Japanese sports and stuff like that too. Um, yeah, which is kind of interesting. Um, Thirty-two kilo men, no way is going to represent Japan uh, for the third time. This is the second time represented at seventy-two. Um, let's see here, eighty-seven men. You've got. I think this is pronounced. And this is his first time in two years that he won this weight class, and it'll be his third time representing Japan. So if we go to men's freestyle, okay, so here's here's where it gets um, freestyle. Higuchi with an H, uh, he wins 61 men's freestyle. I was I was gonna I was gonna ask if he might be a Noriaki Kiguchi relative, but the H uh, disqualifies that obviously. So so in in his case now I remember Kiguchi because he won silver at the 2016 Olympics. Uh huh. So that's where I remember him. Um, 
and he had one at 65, so he actually dropped the weight because hmm. um, he previously represented at 65 kilos, so that's kind of an interesting way to go about this. Yeah, especially on the international level. You know, something interesting, um, I don't know if you've noticed, but there's actually times where wrestlers who wrestled slightly higher up in, um, uh, what's it called? Um, like the NCAA will go down a weight class or two comparatively on the international level, and that's because of the fact that A, you could do day before weigh-ins, and B, you don't have the weight-cutting restrictions. Right. Um, let's see here. So we've got at 74 kilo men's freestyle, Takatani from the Jietai wins for the first time. So he's going, this is his first, um, world team representation. Um, and then you've got at men's heavyweight, 125 freestyle, Yamamoto, who wins for the fourth consecutive year. Um, so again, the heavyweight seems to, to be able to dominate for, you know, kind of uh, a long time in a row, if you're seeing what I mean with that but not sure if they're really able to dominate in terms of on the world stage, which is interesting. Um, let's go to day three, just to kind of um, go through this really quick. Fujinami Jury from Nippon Sports University wins 53 kilos women's uh, for the second consecutive year. And I think in her case, I think she was a medalist at the Olympics to my understanding um, so oh yes the other highlight about her was that uh, by winning this tournament she has gotten to a hundred win streak that includes domestic and international competition so she is the current you know Sara Yoshida um, in terms of uh, Japanese women's wrestling right now mm. Because um, if you remember, I think, I think uh, Yoshida Saori, she had some like 88 or 188 consecutive wins internationally. You know, so she really dominated in that case. So, kind of curious to see how this uh, jury Fujinami does going forward. I think it's still kind of interesting how. Like, for example, the Japanese women can dominate at the world stage, but the Japanese men can't do the same thing. But then, like, for example, you have the Eastern European men who are able to dominate on the world stage, but for some reason they're not able to translate that to their women. Yeah. That's always rather interesting. Not to mention the fact that, you know, you can't really roid up just go and throw back to like the East Germans, for example, you can't really roid up your women and um, have them go on at in certain weight classes. Cause you remember the East German women were huge. Like if they were doing wrestling, they would be like, you couldn't have them at that level. You can't beef someone up and expect them to go a certain weight class. So it's like, realistically, if they were, um, 
If they, yeah, realistically, if they were beefing up their, it's like they wouldn't be able to beef up their women. So 72 women's uh, Furuichi wins um, the playoff, so she will represent. And um, men's Greco, 55 kilo Shiotani, or Shioya, however you pronounce that, he wins the playoff. And then 82 kilos, uh, Greco, Okajima uh, wins for the second time, so he will represent. And uh, 70 kilo men's, you've got Narukuni from, this is an interesting club name, MTX Gold Kids. So he goes to and here's the interesting thing he did not compete in the Meiji tournament he decided not to compete in the Meiji tournament and he just decided that he would wrestle in the playoff which is interesting um, I guess it paid off though because he ended up pinning the, the winner of the Meiji tournament <laughs> uh, now how does how's the playoff go it, it, it's a one match play Okay, so it's not like the U.S. where they do best two out of three. No, no. Which goes, again, back to the flaws in the Japanese system. Yeah. Oh, so here's here's the name I was looking for. So there was a... There was a guy named Sakano in at 70 kilos men's freestyle who did compete, and he he is a coach for Ichidai Fuchisawa. So, but he ended up, oh, I see what happened here. Okay, he had, okay, Narukuni actually lost in the semis. That's what happened. He lost in the semis to the to the eventual winner of the tournament. Um, but uh, Sakano ended up going against Narukuni in the quarterfinals. So. Uh-huh. Now what's kilos. now what's the background of the Nichi Fuji coach? This one, he's an assistant coach. The the head coach is a guy by the name of Yago. Wasn't he an alumni, or am I thinking of somebody else? He wrestled Nihon University. Okay, so he is yeah, a Nihon. So he is. Okay, so he is a Nihon University graduate, just at not at. Nichi Fuji. Yeah, just not from the high school. Yeah. Shirai at 86 kilos men's uh, will represent 92 kilos. This Takatani, uh, another Takatani. This guy has, uh, he's been all over the place. He's represented at various weight classes. Um, the first time he represented Japan, he was wrestling at 74. And then he went up to 79, 86, and now he's representing at 92. So, kind of, kind of uh, doing a Kyle date there. <laughs> so this will be a seventh time representing Japan. So that's interesting. Ninety-seven kilos Ishiguro will represent for the second time in a row. Uh, so the last, uh, yeah, that's it. So that concludes the um, the major cup. Um, Interesting stuff going on there, but, uh, you know, 
just things happen here and there. So, yeah, and then and then here's a thing that shows Fujinami Jury's um, record. So it extends back to 2017. So that's interesting how that goes. So um, yeah, that concludes uh, the that concludes the Meiji Cup, and um, you know we'll probably be seeing some other stuff. You know who's going to be doing what at the World Championships should be interesting. Say. Um, so Matthew, uh, let's get into some, uh, I know that you had a big announcement or, uh, something that you wanted to talk about, so let's get right into it. Okay, so this is, um, uh, so the first thing I want to talk about, uh, before I get into MMA is very interesting. So, um, you, so, uh, as we know, in recent events, the, um, the NCAA name image likeness, uh, ruling has allowed um, uh, college athletes to be able to actually um, make money off of their name, image, likeness. Well, um, Dodo E has gotten in on the game. Oh yes, because um, I think didn't they get a didn't they get a hold of uh, Colton Schultz? Oh, you heard about this. Yeah, I've heard yeah, they got a hold of Colton Schultz. So it's I've actually looked at it. So what happened was they actually have had two execu- uh, two classes, but the very first person they named uh, signed to an NIL deal was Gable Stevenson. Mm-hmm. So um, he was like the. Um, like the prototype to this program, and it's very interesting because it's officially called WWE Next in Line. So basically, these are athletes who the WWE feels might have the potential to become WWE, as they call them, superstars. Well, I gotta imagine that the WWE is trying to tap into the wrestling talent maybe try and get the actual wrestling community to be fans again of the WWE. Yeah, yeah, it, it's kind of interesting because it's a very diverse pool of um, athletes that they've gotten right. because you do have a few wrestlers in there, but you also have track and field stars, football players, basketball players, volleyball. There's even a cheerleader in there. That's interesting. Yeah, but it's... So I think these are people who they think, oh, they have certain skills that can possibly be transitioned into um, using uh, in, in pro wrestling. So, but this is very interesting because when the NIL first came out, my thought was, you know what? These are, it's like most of the people that are going to be signed to the to NILs are going to be football players and basketball players. Let's face it, those are the money-making sports. Those are where these people are going to make the money because those are the most visible and then the most money-making sports. So those athletes are the ones who are going to be signed, which, again, in this pool, and specifically football and men's basketball. So, again, in this pool, there are 
basketball, men's basketball players and football players. But there's, again, these, these are, for, uh, they sign people from sports that you would typically would not think of, of money-making sports. And I think that's probably because of the fact that the WWE wants to, again, they think, oh, there's this possibility, but they're also incentivizing future athletes to think, oh, I don't have to be in these two sports in order to make money. So that's, I think that's probably where they're going in that regard. And I really do wonder if the three wrestlers currently in this program are probably the only wrestlers making it that are signed to NILs. But let's face it, that's not going to be the, um, like recruit, it's like these people, it's like the, the, um, the, what's it called? The um, schools are very diverse as well. It's it's almost like they looked at these people and thought, oh, this person's gonna be good. They're not they're not going based off of schools. But you know, it's it's kind of been interesting as it is because you know there's been talk about um, whether it's gonna affect things. And you had Nick Saban complaining about how Texas A and M had a better recruiting class than him. And it's just like Saban, what are you complaining about? You made it to the finals this year. What in what in the world could you possibly be complaining about? You're probably going to be in contention again for the for the playoffs this year. What could it's like it's like I guarantee that if you have the choice between an NIL deal and playing for a national championship, you're probably going to go for the national championship because making money means nothing if you can't make it to the next level. The likelihood of going to the next level is going to be playing for a championship team. So I can guarantee if someone really wants to try to make it to the NFL, they're going to try to go to Alabama under Nick Saban, regardless of what they get, whether they get an NIL or not. Let's stop. Let's stop. Yeah, it's but but yeah, it, it is very interesting, and I wonder if other. But another thing, I think that the WWE is looking for is I think they're looking at a long-term plan because, you know, the WWE style of pro wrestling, as they call it, sports entertainment, that's, let's face it, it's more about the entertainment factor than it is, like, the competitive, like, you know, the, like, how it is at, like, AEW, where it's, like, flippy-dippy is, like, is the the big thing. Well, and I think, I think, WWE is trying to think about things long term because here, here's the thing that they um, just things are not safe uh, for them uh, especially with Vince yeah. McMahon resigning with which is not the first scandal that he's ever gone through but well you think about it you know they've tried so much to try to mirror the days of the attitude era and it's just, it's so hard to try and do that. You know, I, I hear a lot, you know, when I go on to, like, YouTube and I watch videos and stuff, and, or people comment so much, people are not really into the current, you know, characters and storylines of, you know, the WWE right now. It's just not appealing. And not to mention, not to mention all the big people from that era. It's, you know, um... Randy Orton's out with an injury, not going to compete again until next year. 
John Cena's in Hollywood. Batista's in Hollywood. Undertaker just retired. Glenn Jacobs is busy playing mayor in, in Tennessee. Uh, Triple H is retired. Yeah, Triple Triple H has He's a part timer, anyways, but because people, he's people cannot, you know, these guys can't keep going forever, you know, because doing that stuff is that that, that will take a toll on. Well, one thing you have to remember as well, the Attitude Era was just such a unique era. If you think about all the unique characters and everything like that, it was a very unique era that just cannot be emulated in any other time, even if they did. Oh, and that's another thing. They're trying to walk this fence of, like, trying to bring some kind of semblance of the Attitude Era back, but... The thing that's holding them back is they want to appeal to wider audience, so they're still TV PG. So they're trying to like make it edgy, but still, but you know, still appeal to a wider audience. And it's just, it's, it, they're trying to have their cake and eat it too. But the problem is, it's just not working. Well, yeah, they 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 develop certain stars, stars, and they try to push the stars. Like, um, what was it, Roman Reigns, or, um... Who's The Rock's cousin, by the way. Right. Um, who was, uh, you got Roman Reigns, you got some other, um... Brock still comes in and out. Uh Uh-huh. But that's a problem, again, is that he's a part-timer. Uh-huh. Um, who was it? There was, there was, like, one, um... Bray Wyatt... Bray Wyatt, yeah, they... they, they Braun Strowman. Uh, I know, yeah, they tried to push Bray um, for a while, and that didn't, that didn't really work out for them. And I think he did... I think they did give him the... Um, he did get... <laughs> he did get to the top. He eventually did win the... the, um, the championship. The top championship, not the... not one of the secondary titles. But... Oh, Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins was another one that they've been, you know, pushing here and there. And, um... Well, another thing to remember about WWE as well is that, you know, they went and they took Florida Championship Wrestling, which which was, at the time, the developmental championship. They basically bought it, and they morphed it into uh, NXT, which is now their... which is their developmental... Um, Brand which they um, have headquartered at the the Performance Center in Florida, and again they're trying. Well, it's very conflicting because Triple H, despite you know the um, the you know the power uh, hold that he had in the company, at one point he saw the direction. He was at, at least insightful enough to know the direction in which pro wrestling was going. So, so um, NXT, as it was designed as a developmental brand, was supposed to appeal in that direction. That's why it was the brand that was put up against um, AEW in the Wednesday Night Wars. But the problem is, it's a developmental brand. Right. So, they tried to make it, oh, we're going to go to war with AEW. And they, they, I, I, don't, I, I think they won maybe twice, three times. It wasn't that often. Well, then you got... Um, 
AEW is the it, AEW is a lot more than just the um than the AEW. If we're gonna pick a a promotion, it's like it's like a well funded um ECW. That's really more what's like. It's not like WCW. WCW had a certain style, and then they basically just started bringing in, you know, the 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 E guys willy nilly. The but and it just became it just became a different type of WWE. But the thing is, that's not what AEW is. AEW uh, has a completely different style, and even though they will very often bring in guys from WWE like Daniel Bryan, CM Punk. You know, uh, you know, but they also make their own. All right. So Matthew, one P, one thousand and fifty-three. What a uh... spoiler and, warning! And spoiler warning for everyone. Um, so make sure that uh, if you haven't read it already, please go and read it before we start talking about it. So um, you've been given your warning. So. Chapter one, one piece. Chapter one thousand fifty-three. Spoilers, starting now in three, two, one, and here we go. So Matthew, um, uh, you know, there's just so much to cover in regards to. So I'm just gonna pull up the uh, the notes from the the One Piece wiki, and um, I think uh, one of the first things to kind of, um, you know, it's not a very big thing. But uh, we do have a name for at least one CP0 uh, agent uh, besides Rob Lucci. Um, so the guy who was uh, trying to talk to the Elder Stars, I think, the Gorose. So his name is uh, Guernica, I think. And uh, when I was looking up his... He's the guy with the tiki uh, mask, right? Yeah, he's, he's, got, he's, he's, the one with, um, he's the one with one of the tiki masks. And... Um, Apparently, according to the trivia on his wiki, uh, probably a reference to the Pablo Picasso painting Guernica, which depicts the bombing of the vast town of the same name by Nazi Germany and fascist Italy at the request of Francois Spain, which is interesting. Um, so you got that, but... Wait, like wait, 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 wait. Um, requested by who? It says Francois Spain. Was he before Franco? Because I know Franco wasn't the first guy to start the the, the revolution and represent the the, the republic. Mm-hmm. The Francois dictatorship was the period of Spanish history between 39 and 75 when Francisco Franco ruled Spain with the title Caudillo. After his death in 1975, Spain transitioned into a democracy. Okay, so so it was Franco. Yep, it was Franco. Yeah, Spanish Civil War was essentially a, uh, a um, dress rehearsal for in Europe for the um, for World War Two. Because you, yeah. you had the Italians and um, Nazi Germany uh, basically um, practicing and using their, testing their equipment against um, the um, Soviet-backed socialists. Mm-hmm. 
So that's that's uh, interesting. So anyway, but I think the people who are really panicking are the good old days because they've issued the new wanted posters and um, they put out, you know, Luffy's poster has the Nika picture and then the they, they wanted the D erased from his name, but... Uh, bad News Morgans! That. Yeah, so... Shout out to Bad News, you know, Big News Morgans. Big actually. News Morgans. <laughs> but that's a good one, too. Bad News Morgans. <laughs> that's a good one, too. Uh, but, uh, you know, he, uh, he really likes to, even though sometimes he's a manipulator, he... He, uh, he really likes the, the truth to get out there. He likes a little bit of chaos. And uh, with something really big news to him, man, he's really going to roll it. News? Well, he, for him, big news sells. Obviously, big news. So he's going to go with whatever. Right. So in this case... And uh, as man, we've established, he it's like he's one of the few people that the um, world government has not been able to get a hold of. Right. It's like you you know you know they want they'd want to get a hold of him and make him go away. They want to hide him in level six of El Impel Down. They want to bury him in there and they just want to let him rot. But it's like it's like who who cares what reason they want to put they want to get him they want to put him in Impel Down level six and they want him to rot. Well, they did track him one time because there was a cypher full agent that infiltrated his, um, uh, you know, they infiltrated his organization. Um, you know, but he ended up, the World Economy newspaper. Uh, but yeah, he uh, he did defeat that cypher full agent. So, but, it's uh, like, that's a very interesting name because that newspaper talks about a lot more than, than just the World Economy. So, the, there's three bounties that have been issued. Um, I'm very sure that post-break from Oda, I'm very sure that the other um, crewmates will all get new bounties. But three big ones, Law, Kid, and Luffy all have bounties of three billion berries. What and, was our predictions? So, I know that you said that Luffy was going to get to probably... Four point something, and I said probably three. So looks like I had that one. We didn't really make any predictions for um, Law and Kid. Um, I find it um, interesting that they're both um, they both had the same one, but just jumping up ahead, oh. one of them's the em- is the new emperor of. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll be getting into the, the, the emperor the emperor discussion getting into a bit later, but yes, Luffy is, has the name one of the new emperors, but the other two aren't. Um, but, so I've been, you know, I, I watched some other, you know, more bigger One Piece um, content uh, YouTube creators, uh, you know, and they're all giving all sorts of, of reasons as to why would uh, Luffy, Law, and Kid all be on the same level in, in terms of bounty and, uh, you know, because Luffy's bounty jump is really the smaller, uh, you know, compared to Law and Kid, because they, 
Bolt One Kid had, um, I think it was five. Law had, I think, five hundred million, and Kid, I think, had something like four hundred and forty million before this new bounty. Now, obviously, you know, Law and Kid getting to that level obviously is because they defeated Big Mom, which. Uh, you know, I, I completely understand that. And then, um, but I'm wondering if the world government doesn't want to push Luffy too much ahead, you know, because he ended up defeating Kaido. It's hard to, hard to tell, you know, there's a lot of people saying a lot of stuff about, well, maybe the world government is trying to hide something. Of course they're always trying to hide something. So... Bless you. Excuse me. So when we get in, so you know, you get into this about the the jumps and stuff. So obviously, you know, it's a lot better jump for Law and Kid. And then, you know, kind of towards the end of the chapter, Kid, because he saw that Luffy is a Yonko now, and the bounty is like, so now Kid wants to try and take out Luffy, and then Luffy grabs Kid and he wants celebrate with him and stuff like that it's there's this really it's like sorry it's like it's like yeah it's like sorry kid you're you're um uh you barely know how to use um what's it called um conquerors hockey luffy here's the thing luffy does not view kid as an enemy oh yeah that's true so even if Kid wanted to fight Luffy, Luffy would not, um, you know, entertain that possibility, which is funny. You know, it's a funny thing that that's going on. Um, so I don't know what what do you think so far about you know the fact that hey, it's three billion berries for all three of them so far. Um, you know, I was watching Grand Line review and he was talking about how. Um, Though their cumulative, um, their cumulative um, bounties kind of reflects the cumulative bounties of the two people they def- jointly defeated. Right. right. So. Well, yeah, that's that's interesting. But I still think it's fun. I still think it's interesting. But I think it's probably more. Um, I know I keep jumping forward, and you want to, um, and you'll you want to have a discussion about the the Yonko later. But I think um, the fact that even though they all have the same amount of um, the same bounties that uh, Luffy is considered a Yonko now is probably more having to do with influence than anything else. Yeah, that's very, very true. Yeah, I can I can see that as a because uh, like because just throwing an example out there, you know, Mihawk for all we know might have a a, a um bounty that's bigger than um. I, I definitely want to see what Mihawk. Mihawk for all we know could have a bounty that's bigger than Luffy. He might have something that's like equivalent to like Shanks or something like that. But he's a he's a um he's a um. He's a lone wolf. So it's more to do with influence than anything else. I mean, even though... Because um, Duffy has the Grand Fleet. 
So right. automatically, the fact that he has the Grand Fleet um, is pro, and he created this giant alliance. He has the ability to create, you know, alliances that you know everyone else just doesn't. He can It's when you know to the point where Law was the one who reached out to him. Luffy went into Impel down by himself. He came out with an army. Right. And it's it's you know um well, and, then, and then he's got the, the, the straw hat grand fleet now. Well and that that's another thing. He went into um Dress Rosa with his crew. He comes out with the Straw Hat Grand Fleet. So he's able to create alliances in ways that just everyone else can't, not even law. And law's more level headed and um, you know, um is able to act, you know, is, is more level-headed and is, is um, to a de- degree, probably more intelligent. But Luffy's able to do stuff that, you know, um, Law can't, definitely not Kid. So well, it, I so think it I, comes down more to influence than anything else. Well, I calculated, I calculated Kaido and Big Mom's uh, total bounty, and it came out to... So, roughly um, about nine mil billion. Right. So basically, the three, the kid, law, and uh, Luffy combined is now nine billion. So that's interesting. So moving on to some other stuff that uh, I thought was interesting. So, and uh, I know a lot of people. Where I was reading, you know, I was listening to some other people like, um, you know, you've got Teching, you got Bravo DA, some other people, you know, talking about Sabo. Um, and this is something that I, was, that I probably would have missed, but, you know, they're talking about how uh, Sabo is kind of playing into this too because of, uh, you know, that there's like some country that had a picture of Sabo uh, up in, uh, you know, up. On a wall. On a wall, yeah. Yeah, Grand Line Review pointed that out as well. And uh, so they're saying, oh, you know, it's it's probably, and again, you know, there's no telling what's happened to Sabo because of, you know, there's obviously there's a lot of hints and stuff here and there, but there's there's no way to confirm it without really Oda telling us what really happened to him. You know, he could be captured, he could be dead. You know, there's a lot of stuff regarding, you know, that BB might have been taken out, um, you know, because there was the incident at the Reverie. There's just no way of knowing that, but a lot of people are wanting to speculate on it, which is perfectly fine. I just can't say for sure at this point. So. Yeah, that's just an unknown that we're just going to have to wait and see. Yeah, I, I think. It, it, it's kind of at that point right now. Um, so, Jinbei's kind of at, uh, you know, he's at the capital, uh, just waiting for the rest of the Straw Hats to, uh, you know, stop uh, partying outside and, uh, you know, coming to the formal banquet. Luffy, Chopper, and, and, um, and uh, Yamato, they're all getting, um, Matsubi festival food and uh, Brooke is 
is having a uh, you know it's 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 you know it's almost a bon season and there's actually a few um uh temples up here that have a bon so i don't know if i'm going to visalia or fresno might also depend on our hawaii trip but yeah that's true um uh, you know, the, um, uh, again, depending on our Hawaii trip, um, if, uh, you have time, there is an Obon festival at the, um, Orange County Buddhist Temple in Anaheim. Don't know if you've ever been there. I went there a few times when I was, I was down there. I was living down there. Yeah. Um, uh, so we got... Nico Robin doing what Nico Robin does, but she's at a at an island and uh, she found a poneglyph and uh, beneath the castle. Um, but then the the Tengu master comes up. But I think the thing that really shocked me was the fact that when he takes his mask off, he is revealed to be Kozuki Sukiyaki, who is the father of Kozuki Oden and the grandfather of Momonosuke and Yori. And, uh, you know, the fact that he is alive all this time. Now, a lot of YouTubers are saying, hey, people are speculating that, you know, that he was alive. And, um, you know, a couple of interesting you know, reasons were given as to why Kaido and um, Orochi kept him alive. Uh, you know, because, like, for example, Kozuki Sukiyaki would have been the one to have taught Oden how to read the Poneglyph. So... You know, the fact that Yaki can read Poneglyph is probably the reason why Kaido and Orochi left him alive, because they needed a way to read the Poneglyph that was there. But the big reveal about Poneglyph is the fact that the Pluton is actually on Wano. You know, um, Grandline Review pointed out that even if Robin had revealed that to, um, what's his name? Um... Crocodile? Crocodile? He wouldn't have been able to get a hold of it. No, it wouldn't. It's, it's like, what, what's, it's, yeah, it's like Crocodile would have had to go into, would have had to march in, he would have had to get what was left of um, Barrack Works and march right into to Wano. Barrack Works was never ever on the level of it's like what was he gonna do it's like as far as we know um crocodile didn't even have any hockey abilities whatsoever so what's he gonna do when he goes up against kaido who not who has who knows how to use um conquer's hockey as a weapon he's gonna he he'd probably get one shotted as almost as similar as Luffy. Yeah, that would have, you know, um, now it, it, it really, it's really interesting how Oda is really able to tie certain things back, you know, several tens of volumes worth of content. He's able to tie something that goes way into the future back to the past. Hundreds of volumes. Yeah, now that we, yeah, now it's getting to that point, yeah, hundreds of volumes. Imagine if Kaido had found out. I, you know, I wonder if that's what he meant when he said that I and Big Mom will rule the world. It's like, did he know? 
Uh, he probably he probably did know, uh, but probably the reason he didn't he wasn't able to find it was because if you remember, Sukiyaki was able to escape, and uh, so that's probably what happened that Sukiyaki was able to escape, which is why Kaido find. I think it's funny how we kind of how with the 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 Kozuki uh generations we have a food uh, uh theme going on there well yeah that's tsukiyaki you know, oden the yeah tsukiyaki oden momo <laughs> yeah so then we get into finally the full face reveal of lokugyu aka green bowl and his actual name is aramaki and, uh, After he took out what was left of the, um, of the, of the beast, beast pirates. pirates. Yeah. Um, but, and, uh, so... Like, to me, that's just amazing. He took out... It's like, regardless of, you know, king and queen being um, injured, he took them out like they were nothing. Right. Um, one of the things I, I find interesting... Something is gonna happen. Some some something is gonna something is gonna happen. He's not he. I I don't think he's gonna he's gonna make it. Uh, I I don't think he's gonna um. Cause he's been sent there to assassinate Doofy. Well, uh, actually, and Doofy is actually acting on his own. If you remember, Takazuki told him not to go there and not to do anything. So. I'm not sure what'll happen, but you know he's obviously trying to do his thing. So it did. Were you the one who lined outlined parallels to um, Kuzan yeah, going? So I I wonder if there's something similar going on, but I I, I um probably another big reveal about a you know maybe another straw hat. That we don't know about. Maybe that's what Green Bull will say. Although I kind of doubt it. Wait, he said he's going there to clean up the the mess. Mm-hmm. So what exactly is he going there to clean? So uh, w- wait a minute, is he going there to assassinate Duffy? Yeah, it sure. Certainly looks like it because he's holding up Luffy's uh, wanted post. So he's going to try and take out Luffy. Um, before we move on, though, I, I wanted to kind of point out that Oda is keeping up with the um, the theme of the Admiral, though, where he models them after, you know, old-school Japanese actors. Oh, yeah. So in this case, Yoshio Harada um, played a character named Aramaki, in um, in a uh, in a samurai in an old school samurai. You know, I think Green Bull is on a similar spectrum of justice as um, uh, I forgot. Was it Alkichi? Um, actually, what 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 I've seen a lot of people. Saying that he's on the same spectrum as Takazuki, which is absolute justice. 
Except, except that he, um, uh, except that he disobeyed Sakazuki's orders, which would line up if he were. Well, disobeying Sakazuki's orders doesn't necessarily mean that you're on the side of moral justice. He's he's going out there any means necessary to what he's doing. Yeah, but why would he let? Um, I forget who's who's the blind admiral again. Why am I drawing blank on his would name? He- Fujitora? Well, why would he let Fujitora go in when Sakazuki's orders were that uh, Fujitora can't go into a base until he brings Sakazuki the head of Luffy? Well, uh, I think that had nothing. That has nothing to do with morals. Because technically, Mari Mari Joa is not a marine base. So I think that's why. Uh, Lokugyu, Greenbull, I think could care less, you know, what Takazuki had to say. Well, he may be on a similar um, scale as Sakazuki, but not exactly, I, I, I think. Well, I think I think we'll find out in the next chapter. We'll really find out where Greenbull is going to be. Well, either way, he we know he means business. No, he does Yes. So. Uh, oh, and there's that theory that there's a theory that well, he hasn't said what his ability is, but that another theory I saw is that because he uh, the reason why he is able to not um, like I forgot if he said how long did he say that he hadn't moved? Like three years that he had. I think the reason is that um, uh, with his ability, he's able to drain. Um, the theory is that right. he's able to drain things, so he doesn't have to eat. Right. He so can get his nutrients by just draining um, things. Right. Not necessarily people, but definitely things. So the Ninja Pirate Mink Samurai Alliance uh, start a party, and then we see where. Kid is going to try and take out Luffy, but then Luffy has other ideas. He just wants to party with Kid. So they they obviously are celebrating now. And um, let's see here. So Kid shows Luffy the article that says who all the four emperors are now. And uh, like we mentioned earlier, Luffy is one of the new four emperors and the thing we had said was hey there might be a possibility that there's going to be more than four emperors well the group is saying the yonko four emperors so matthew <laughs> oh boy yeah this one i could not believe but matthew i think it goes back to what you were mentioning about having influence and uh you know, I think it all comes down to gathering people to your side. So let's kind of go through each of the ones before we reveal the final Yonko. So you've got Luffy. You know, he's able to really get people to want to fight with him, work with him. You know, you've got his crew. You've got all these countries that want to, you know, remain loyal to him. I mean, obviously, I think Fishman Island is going to be the first of, of, you know, the protectorate of Luffy's team. I think Wano is going to be an ally, too. You're probably going to have 
um, Alabasta as an ally as well. You know, um, even though they're on the in the first half of the grand line, and um, you know, there's no telling if you know BB is probably okay or not. Dress Rosa. Yeah, Dress Rosa is another one. So you know, you got Luffy there, and then you've got Marshall D. Teach, aka Blackbeard. You know, he has this charisma about him of being able to gather people to his side. I mean, you look at the fact that he, you know, recruited these deadly criminals from Impel Down, and then he's recruiting a whole bunch of other pirate Took Took uh, Whitebeard's territory. Yeah, he took over Whitebeard's territory. More like he annexed, you know, their territories and such. Uh, because it definitely was not a peaceful takeover. We, we know that for a fact. He's got the 10, what was it? I think it's called the 10 giant ships or something. Um, I thought they were the 10 generals. I think it's like the 10 colossal captains or something. Something to that effect. Which are the, um, uh, the uh, uh, each each one of the, the um, Yonko have their, their, right. um, Crews divided in different ways. Um, Whitebeard right. obviously had the divisional uh, commanders. Uh, uh, Blackbeard has the ten Titanic captains. Let's see. Did um did uh did Big Mom have any um? Uh... Well, she had the she had the three sweet commanders, which was um, Katakuri. Uh, you know, was obviously the leader. Um, and then there was his other two siblings. And then you've got, like, these minister, these ministries, you know, within Tato land. So you have that. Um, but, and then Whitebeard, the, the divisions. Uh, I think the interesting one, though, was... Um, Kaido. I don't know that... Well, yeah, and then Kaido had his, um, you know, three uh, commanders... But he also had the, um, uh, what was the group called? Oh, the, the Tobiroko. Yeah, he had the Tobiroko. Right, which are like the, I don't know what they were called, the entertainers or something. The performers, the lead performers. They, they, they were pretty much, they were pretty much sub-commanders. Right. Now, the interesting one, though, is Shanks. Shanks doesn't really have any, you know, there's still not a lot known about Shanks. They can't really say whether or not, we don't even know if there's, like, any other crews that are attached to the red-haired pirates. But yet, Shanks himself, very charismatic, very influential. I mean, he can, he can go into Marijuana and not have any repercussions, and then he, he can go and have an audience with the, with the Gorose. He's just that influential. But, you know, the, 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 there's still very much a mystery to Shanks and how far his reach is, whether he's got these other coups allied with him, you know, what kind of territories is he overseeing? There's really nothing that shows that, you know, how far his influence is stretching. All we know is... Uh... Who's 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 the the Doofy fanboy? Oh, Bartolomeo. All we know is Bartolomeo invaded his territory. Mm. Well, I mean, Bartolomeo may may know some things about Shanks, and if, if you know, he's 
catch keep it up with Luffy. And so, yeah, we'll probably see Barto here, you know, soon too. The Barto Club. Yeah, the Barto Club. So Matthew, which means our last um, young call, um, quite unexpected, but when you then when you step back and you think about it. <laughs> Um, you know, I thought, hey, maybe Law and, um, Law and, uh, Kid might be in there, and then, you know, like I said last week, I thought that maybe, hey, Mihawk will be up there, maybe Boa Hancock will be up here, but, um, you know, uh, Goda, as people call Oda, with his just ability to surprise people. So, Matthew, who is our last emperor of Buggy the Clown. <laughs> and um, I think, well, okay. Buggy the Clown, I mean, his connection to Shanks, I gotta imagine that was a factor. His being in, in you know, part of the, the Pirate King's crew. Um, and then his ability to recruit people too, because of his reputation, is my guess, as to, which means that he had to have survived that battle versus the Marines. Because remember, the Marines sent a, a fleet of ships after him uh, when they when they abolished the Shibuka. Yeah, but as, as I recall, didn't he, um, wasn't he planning on running? Yeah, he was planning on running. So, you know, what happened that he was able to survive that, I mean, did he actually run away, or did his crew, you know, from Buggy's delivery, did they actually win that that battle? Well, yeah, and that is another thing we have to take into consideration is that giant impel down breakout crew stayed loyal to him. And most of them had bounties a lot larger than he did. So he had this giant... Uh, yeah, so he, he, there were basically three factions that came out of the, um, I don't even know if it it would be that generous. There were two huge factions that came out of the, um, if we talk about total factions, like three or four, but there were two huge factions that came out of the, uh, uh, the Impel Downbreak. That is the, um, the Newcomer Army that joined, um, that joined, Luffy. what? That joined Luffy, right? No, that after um, the Battle of Marineford uh, followed Ivankov back to. Um, uh, oh yeah, so they they joined the revolutionary. Yeah, they they joined the revolutionary army, and then you have the other group that are just solely the, um, you know, the people that that jailbreaked including the former Mr. Three, and they joined Buggy and basically right. expanded his his crew to, I, like, four or five times what it was, and include, including his, his, his current crew with Alvida. Right. And there were, uh, apparently there were a lot of level six convicts in, in that group, too. And then, and then, um, uh, his, um, and then, um, his uh the crew that um and then we have to remember that during after when he was a shibukai he had two years to develop this giant network 
So all those factors going into consideration, if he survived the battle or if he somehow won, then it, I guess it would make sense that he would become a, a Yonko. Well, and apparently he had already started a power vacuum based on his... Because apparently, and, and I don't know if this was true or not, but I thought I had heard somewhere, he probably did have connections to the underworld. And he was starting a power vacuum into the underworld based on the um, vacancy left by Doflamingo when he was. Yeah, Doflamingo did have uh, quite a bit of influence. So, an interesting thing. So, in you mean he was making a power grab? Yeah, power grab. So, in the case of Buggy becoming an emperor, and, and a lot of people are like, oh, this is Oda memeing on the fan base. But basically, Bucky becoming an emperor means that this is the second former Roger crewmate to be an emperor. He's also the second former Shibukai after Blackbeard to become an emperor. Um, the But the one interesting thing is that, you know, since first came on to the series we've never seen what his current bounty is so like the, the you mean after you mean after after um uh that we saw his bounty in um uh in east blue yeah we've never seen his increased bounty so his bounty at least canonically has remained the same East Blue, which is 15 million. Which is pitiful compared to today's standards. And, you know, maybe Bucky was able to level up in some way. We don't know. But I, certainly not to the level of the other three. And I'm kind of surprised that, you know, maybe, maybe another thing that happened was maybe Bucky did propose an alliance with Shane. And maybe the WG caught word of that. They were like, we can't let that happen, or something along those lines. I mean, I would not be surprised if that might... I think it's still a possibility in the future that Buggy and Shane could ally together. Maybe they might ally because they want to defeat Blackbeard. Who knows? That's... Uh, we could see three of them, because uh, Doofy might join in, because he's got unfinished business with Blackbeard. I mean, there's still so many potential battles ahead because you've got, you know, I'm very sure that Luffy's got unfinished business with Sakazuki, you know, because Sakazuki was the one who killed Ace. So I'm very sure that there's going to be, you know, hey, maybe there might be a second Marine Corps based on, hey, if they captured Sabo, maybe they're going to execute him. I don't know how Oda would fit that in the story. I mean, you still got to go to Elba. You know, everyone keeps talking about Elbaf. I don't know if it's going to happen. I really don't. I know everyone keeps emphasizing it, but I, it's just, I, I'm not sold on the idea that Elbaf is going to happen. I, I, I'm, I'm really not sure Elbaf is going to happen. You still have to, you still have to have your battle with Teach. Oh yeah, definitely. There's at least two major battles that are going to happen. There could be a third one because you still have Eve and the Gorose. 
I think the Im Gorose battle is probably going to coincide with the Sakazuki battle. I really do think that's going to be one giant all-out battle of just world government against um, Luffy and everyone else. Yeah, everyone that aligns with them. They still, they still have to find out the secret of the kingdom. They still have to find out where the lost kingdom is. They still have to find out stuff about the voice center. I mean, we still got, even though we're now going to be getting into the last part of the series, there's still a lot of things to pack in there. We could still be seeing this going on for another, hey, five years. You know, um, I'm... Now I forgot. Uh, what's the what's the master poneglyph? That's the real poneglyph. I really think the real poneglyph is on um, uh, Laugh Tail. Uh, yes, that could be a consideration because I think I think when when because um, Shanks talked about it and not Shanks. Odin talked about it. I think Gold Roger talked about it. And I think. Uh, what's the name? Silver's Ray Lee talked about it too. They found out the true history, but at that time they knew that they could not do anything about it. Yeah, and well, because it wasn't it wasn't the right time. Well, and let's be honest, the right time might be. It's like we've we you know we've talked about Joy Boy and how the um, the model Nika fruit is essentially the reincarnation of Joy Boy. That might, there might be something needed to activate something, and the key is the model Nika fruit. It's possible that, so it's possible that when Luffy gets there, he's going to have the ability to activate whatever it is that's going to change the world. That's going to be able to do something about it. And for all we know, it's going to be, um, let's see. There's Pluton, Poseidon, and what's the third uh, ultimate weapon? Pluton, Poseidon. And let's see here. The ancient weapons. So the ain't oh and Uranus. The Pluton is the ship. What what if what if the Nika fruit is Uranus? Good question. Um I mean think think about it. Pluton's a ship. Poseidon is whoever has the ability to talk to the sea kings and control them. And it's gonna be a mermaid. Yes, it's gonna be a mermaid. Oh. And in this case, it's in, in this generation, Shiaohoshi. What if Uranus is the model Nika fruit, which has abilities that are incomprehensible, according to the Gorose? Right, because there, there isn't really anything that Uranus is only stated as to be an ancient weapon, but there's there's no real details into 
what specifically Uranus is. Well, and let's be honest, we don't know why Roger teamed with Garp at God Valley. They knew something, and everyone else, the top people, know something. John, your your phone's falling over. They know something, and the, the, the top people in the world government know something that everyone else does not. Why would a pirate team with a Marine who is a moral justice guy who does not believe in slavery, believes it's immoral, that it, it could not have more de, uh, of a detested man towards the, um, the celestial dragons? The, the world nobles. Why would two people like that partner up to fight the most dangerous crew that the world had known at the time to prevent to prevent them taking over the um, an island that was inhabited by the world nobles and their slaves? I think something was hidden there. I really do think something was... I think something was there. What's it? Um, Rox wanted it, and it seems well, like I, Rox might have been. The, and it seems like Rox may have been the only one who knew what it was because we don't hear the. Uh, we don't hear Kaido talk about it. We don't talk about. We don't hear um, Linlin talk about it, and we don't hear Whitebeard talk about it. But it's possible they knew something that was. He knew something that was there. He wanted to get it, and Roger and Garp knew about it, and they said, we need to, for the greater good of humanity, we need to fight him. We need to stop him from getting whatever it is. Which, for all we... I'm I'm almost curious if maybe... I'm almost curious if maybe... um... Uh, rocks. He definitely probably had some connection to the the Gomu Gomu no Mi, aka the human human proof model Nika. You think he might have been the possessor of it at the time? There's a lot we don't know about rocks, and what whatever battle that was, it you know Garp as. Garp as a what? How how old is he? Um, after the timescape. Garp is in his like seventies or eighties. Garp and Garp being as old as he is, is still powerful. What? So you can only it. Um, God Valley happened how many years ago? Over forty years. Ago. Over forty years ago, Garp it, at that point was in his forties or possibly even thirties. He's in his prime. So He's 78 after the time skip. Yeah, so what it so yeah, he was 38 at the time of God Valley. So what was it that would have been so how powerful is rocks that it it pushed Garp to his limits? Because we've seen pictures of him. He was ble- battered and bloody when he finished that. He got the scar right here because of that God Valley battle. So how powerful was Rox that he had, or who, or who else did he fight? Did he have to fight one of these other people? 
And we also know that we also know that you know Gold Roger and Goldie Roger and Garp both are not as well. We know that Roger definitely was not a, a um, fruit user, but from what we can tell, neither was Garp. So how powerful were? It's like how powerful? It's so it's, yeah. It's it's just one of those things where I think mo- I. Almost everything will be answered by the end of. Uh, I I don't think we're gonna know some things like the the tall being in um, Thriller Bark, but I think we'll know a lot of answers before the the series is done. Well, uh, we'll we'll start getting some answers, I'm sure, with uh, when the chapter resumes in uh, five weeks' time. So. There's going to be four weeks of uh, no One Piece chapters. So, um, end of July is when it's going to start back up. So, we'll, we'll have to see what's going to happen. But, uh, you know, we still have a lot to talk about in the meantime. So, we'll, we'll do some reviews and stuff. Going back to some, you know, just talk about some One Piece content. Among some other things. So, uh, Matthew, I think we'll close out the episode for today. And uh, as always, thanks for your insight on a lot of things. And, uh, you know, we'll have to see what uh, we have going forward uh, for the next coming episode. Uh, so this concludes uh, episode 17 of the Samurai Brothers uh, podcast. So, uh, Matthew, uh, where can our viewers find us on uh, social media? Our viewers can find the video podcast on YouTube and Rumble. The audio podcast is on Acast. Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. Other platforms to be determined. And uh, Matthew also operates uh, MMA Freak, which is a uh, website dedicated to some uh, highlights and news about uh, MMA uh, sports and promotions going on. So you can find him personally uh, on uh, Twitter, at Matthew Salter, and then uh, the MMA Freak uh Go to MMA-Freak.com, and then the Twitter for MMA Freak is MMA Freakout. Uh, also, uh, announcement, today was the relaunch of my YouTube channel. I'd, I'd just been busy starting from last December until um, earlier this month. I finally had the time, so I relaunched that with a review of Dad's Cream Soda. Oh, yeah, happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. All right, so Matthew, as always, thanks, and uh, to all our viewers, uh, have a great uh, Happy Father's Day, and I uh, hope you also have a great week going forward, and uh, we will see you next week.